So, Lord God, I thank you for these mountains that you walk up and give us a message from. I thank you for Mount Sinai. Thank you for Mount Calvary. Thank you for Mount Zion. And I thank you for the mountain that you walked up, Jesus, and spoke your words from by the Sea of Galilee and the Sermon on the Mount. And I was just thinking, God, that when you speak your word, it's so strange to us at first because it's a seed. And no one would look at a seed for the first time and think, oh, that's actually a tree, that it turns into this amazing tree. But God, it feels like that seed has sat in my gut now for about 30 years since I first preached the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm beginning to see the tree in me. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to see the tree and you. Because Lord, it's, uh, it's so good. It's life. So Father, I pray that you would implant your seed in us this morning. That you would help us preach in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'll go back here. Out of the, out of the COVID zone, take my mask off. You notice that Ted, you Ted, you took your mask off right here. You could have killed you could have killed me just Okay, yeah, but actually I won't blame you if if I'll blame God. Um so uh <laughs> Hey, you know, uh I'm I'm actually so old that I was alive in the nineteen seventies and I remember it. And in the 19, yeah, in the 1970s, toward the end, there was a scandal. I remember everybody talking about this scandal. Our president, Jimmy Carter, confessed to lusting after a woman. In the 80s, there was another scandal. We elected a president that had been divorced and remarried, Ronald Reagan. In the 90s, there was another scandal. Our President Bill Clinton had an affair and then lied about it. And now all of that seems to be kind of minor. I mean, it feels like society is being torn apart. And so sometimes I wonder, is there a storm coming? Maybe it's been coming. I read uh, yesterday, 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973. And there are some that talk as if that's almost like a sacred right. And right up to the time of delivery, and I don't know, I really don't know what the law should be. But I'm thinking maybe that matters. And, And a storm is coming. Maybe it's already here. Hundred and what, eighty-three thousand, maybe today it's hundred and eighty-four, hundred and eighty-five thousand, something like that. People have died from COVID in the United States of America, the richest, most powerful nation on earth in, in just the last what, four, five, five months. I mean, that's uh, that's alarming. Even more alarming is that 16 times that many die every year in the United States 
of, of America. I mean, so it's like, that's like a storm and then a denial of the greatest storm all at one time. Shutdowns, economic crisis, racial injustice, police brutality, then mass brutality, not just protests, but riots, that's a storm. The Western United States is literally on fire, a firestorm. And then Wednesday, hurricane devastates Louisiana, strongest storm to hit in, in a lifetime. We're in a hell of a storm. And we don't know what to do about it. One channel will tell you one thing. Another channel will tell you the very opposite thing. We're about to elect our next president and, and a new batch of legislators. They, you know what they do is they take knowledge of good and evil and they turn it into laws, enforceable laws. And we hope that they know what they're doing. We hope that they know what to do because in a storm, everything changes. Right? You, you lose control. You lose control in a storm and you desperately long for something permanent, something solid, not just emotions and feelings and ideas. You want something more durable than all the storms. You want a place to, to stand. You want a place to lay a foundation, a place to, to build your house. You, you want a, a rock. Vortec, the most powerful line of engines ever in a Chevy truck. You want to rock, and people know that. People know that, and and so they say, "Listen to me." They say, "Vote for me," or they say, "Buy a truck." So you go out and you buy a truck. And then the transmission fails. And then you die. <laughs> Matthew 7, 24, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and, and it, it fell and great, great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus, I thank you that you have authority. And now, Lord God, I pray that we would receive your word. I, I just realized I mentioned abortion and maybe someone's had an abortion. I pray that you would show them that you have their baby and you forgive them. And some have been divorced and remarried and they wondered if anything can be made new and you will make all things new. So I pray that you would convince them. But right now, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to believe your word. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Why would a person want to build their house on sand instead of rock? 
Well, isn't it because sand is easy to push around? I mean, if you build your house on a rock, you have to conform your house to the foundation. But if you build your house on sand, you can conform the foundation to your house. But when the rains fall and the floods come, the wind blows, the COVID hits, and you can't seem to draw your last breath, well, then you'll see it's best to build your house on, on a rock. But Jesus didn't just say, a rock. He said, the rock. Tain Petron. I wonder what rock he's referring to. This is the rock in the Dome of the Rock Shrine on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This is the holiest site in, in Judaism, and the fact that it's in an Islamic shrine explains a little bit of the tension in that part of the world. According to Orthodox Jews, this is the navel of all creation, the point from which creation happened, and the place where God fashioned Adam, where God made Adam in the Garden of Eden. This is the top of Mount Moriah that was later named Mount Zion, the place, you know, where Abraham offered Isaac and God provided a substitute. This is the place that David offered to sacrifice himself on behalf of the people to save the people from the plague, and, and God told the angel to put away his, his sword. This is the rock on which they placed the ark, the throne of God behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies in the temple that Solomon built. When Jesus said, the rock, maybe they were thinking of this rock. Or maybe they thought of the rock that Moses speaks of in the Pentateuch, remember? Maybe, well, maybe it's all the same rock. It, it was the, the rock at, at Horeb that Moses struck, remember? Struck the rock, and living water flowed out of the rock. That's fresh water, and it saved the people of Israel. It was in the cleft of the rock that God hid Moses and allowed him to see his, his backside, which is quite a story that you ought to read. And it was the rock that Moses struck in apparent anger at the end of their journey, and God ended up forbidding Moses from entering the, the promised land. See, the rock, the rock, singular, was with them in all those different places. So the ancient rabbis said that it followed them. I mean, maybe it had come and gotten them. Like a truck, it was strong and it was free. Anyway, maybe not. But over and over again, the prophets referred to God as the rock. When Jesus said the rock, they must have thought of that rock. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul writes, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, maybe the foundation stone, Jesus, maybe the foundation stone is, is Jesus, and, and maybe he went and got the Israelites and took them home. 1 Corinthians 10.4, listen to this. They, the Israelites, on their journey, they, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So, so God is the rock, and Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation. You know that the name literally means Yahweh is salvation. The angel said to Joseph, name him Jesus, Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. If you believe God is salvation, you cannot believe you are salvation, which is your sin. 
its original sin. So what is the rock? Not what, but who? Jesus is the rock. A pastor was given a children's sermon one morning, and he said to the children, he said, children, what is it that lives in trees, has a bushy tail, and eat nuts? Quiet, nobody said anything. Kids, what is it that lives in trees, has a bushy tail, and, and eats, eats nuts? Finally, one little boy raised his hand, and he said, um, I know it's Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. And that may be what you feel right now. Um, okay, okay, Jesus, that clears things up, Pastor. How do I build my house on Jesus? You must mean get directions from Jesus, right? So, does Jesus want me to wear a mask or not? Does Jesus want me to vote for Trump or Biden? Does Jesus want me to buy the Chevy or the Ford? You're the pastor, tell me what Jesus wants. Give me some of that knowledge of the good. What Jesus wants and knowledge of the evil. What Jesus, give me some of that knowledge of good and evil so I can build my damn house. Sorry for cursing, but I was quoting you, wasn't I? And you see, maybe the house is damned. And the greater that you think it is, the greater will be the fall of it. And yet Jesus does say, everyone who does these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. These, these words. But these words of his, with these words of his, Jesus doesn't tell us who to vote for. With these words of his, he doesn't tell us anything practical. I mean, it's like entirely impractical. Practical. He's talking about the sermon. Who actually does these words? I mean, it would be like walking on water to do these words. These words are his. The words of his are the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, it starts out with blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the, the meek, the mourning, the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the, the light of the world. But then Jesus delivers the law like Moses on the mountain, and that is what, what to do. What he tells us not to do is more than a bit intimidated, but what he tells us to do seems downright delusional. What to do. At first, seven things from the seven antithetical statements. Remember, we talked about these when he was talking about the law. Number one, be reconciled. Number two, cut away the body part that causes you to sin. And he goes on to reveal that that's your heart. Number three, be entirely honest. Number four, be entirely giving and forgiving. Number five, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Number six, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And remember that on a tree in a garden on the sixth day of the week, Jesus cried, it is perfected and delivered up his spirit. Number seven, Jesus tells us to do this in such a way that your right hand does not know what your left hand is doing. In other words, do it without consciously trying. It must all be like work that is somehow at the same time rest. He then tells us to pray our Father. 
He tells us to treasure treasure to the self in heaven, but not to the self on earth, as if we had a self in heaven and a self on earth. He tells us to, to ask, to knock, and to do to others whatever we wish that they would do to us, which means we would have to like consider others to, to be us, he tells us to enter by the narrow gate and to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. And then he starts talking about fruit and trees. Two trees that might be one tree, like a living tree and then a diseased tree or a dead tree. And get this, he compares doing fruit to doing the will of his father and now he's talking about doing his words. And remember, Jesus is the word and the will of his Father. How do we do Jesus? That's kind of a shocking and startling question. Well, he says a healthy tree bears good fruit and cannot bear bad fruit. And a diseased tree bears bad fruit and cannot bear good fruit. You see, a tree just doesn't have a choice in the matter. I think we Americans have some rather bizarre notions about freedom of choice. If you really listen closely and think through what we're saying so much of the time, I think you'll find that for, for, for many folks, freedom of choice is the same thing as worshiping chaos. Because we think that freedom is the ability to choose one thing or another thing entirely unrestrained by any objective conception of the good which means that freedom is the ability to make entirely random choices and the inability to choose the good because we ourselves determine the good. Scripture doesn't call that freedom, but bondage or insanity. Biblically, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you happen to want. Freedom is the ability to become who you're meant to be or to become who you truly are. So when is a seed free? When it's kept safe in a jar on a shelf? Or when it has been given the ability to become a tree? When it's free to die and rise and grow into a tree, that is what it's destined to be. When's a train free? When it's running down the track? when it's sitting out in a field spinning its wheels? When's an astronaut free? When she's floating in space untethered from the spaceship? Is that when she's free? Or when she's still tethered to the ship? When's a little girl free? When she's sitting on her father's lap embraced in his arms of love, receiving his kisses, or when she's entirely on her own, doing whatever her passions and fears happen to dictate? When is a man free? When he thinks that he is his own creator, savior, and redeemer, or when he believes that he is created, saved, and redeemed by someone else? In other words, when he's standing on the sand, or when he's standing on the rock, when he determines the good or when the good determines him. Well, anyway, Jesus talks about the trees or the tree, and, and then he talks about what we talked about last week, the man that Jesus does not know. Remember, he just said, I will declare to many on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And we said the man that Jesus does not know must be the man that doesn't exist. The man that I only imagine to exist. The false self, the old Adam, the imposter. In the beginning, God breathed his breath into dust, and I, Peter, became a living psyche, a living self, a living soul, a, a me, an, an I, and there's an I that exists now, and a me in space and time. I create me with judgments, or maybe I observe the creation of me through another's judgments, and, and here's, here's the rub. If I... See the little I and the man on, on the left there? If I think that I am my own creator, and so all of my judgments are simply my own, then I am not free <laughs> to choose the good. And all my judgments are illusions. I am unable to grow because I am trapped in an illusion that I think is me. That is the man that Jesus does not know. The man that is proud and never grateful. The man that can only make evil choices. The me that I think I create. But when I know that I am the breath of I am that I am, and that all my good judgments are his judgments granted unto me or through me, then all my judgments are the judgments of the Creator within me, and that's called reality. And I'm able to grow because I'm freed from the illusion of me, and I can grow to become the gift that actually is me. That is the new and eternal me, the man that is grateful and never proud. The man that will only choose the good in freedom because he wants to. The me that God creates. Now, that is so incredibly hard to understand with our intellect <laughs> because I'm describing our own creation. And yet it is so easy to observe with the heart for we are being made in the image of our creator and he is our father. And I'm a father. So last week at the end of the message, I, I told you a story about my daughter Elizabeth and the day that she became the daughter I did not know. It was the day that I, it was the day after I had visited her kindergarten class, and after I had left her kindergarten class, her, her friend told her a lie. Her friend said, your daddy said that he didn't love you anymore, and now he loved me. That lie, you remember, separated Elizabeth from me, her foundation. It made her try to gain my love because she no longer believed that she was my love. It made her try to take my life for she no longer believed that she is my life. It made her try to be me for she no longer believed that she is me. She is literally the fruit from the tree that is me. The lie, it made her take good from her brothers and sisters to create herself and yet it only made her evil. It made her judge them as evil to convince herself that she was good, and that's evil. It was hell. Because Elizabeth tried to be her own foundation. 
until she sat on my lap, confessed her faith in the lie, and received my blessing as I looked in her and I said, oh, Elizabeth, I love you, and that will never change. And then as I told you last week, she got down off my lap. We went into the restaurant, joined everybody else, and she was good without even trying. <laughs> that means she chose to be good in perfect freedom. She danced in the light of my unchanging love. I'm her father, and my name is Peter. And now you may be saying, okay, fine. <laughs> what does that have to do with the rock? And I'm still wondering, how do I build my house on Jesus? <laughs> That's so weird. Where is Jesus? This is kind of shocking when you, when you really think about it, but Jesus goes on to talk more about the rock in one other place in Matthew, just this one, one place, but he doesn't call himself the rock. Even though he clearly is the rock, Jesus calls somebody else the rock, and his name is Peter. Or at that time, Simon. He was sitting in the crowd on the mountain that day. Remember that Jesus had called him to come and follow, and he would go on to, follow, to f call 11 other guys, just like the 12 tribes of Israel uh, that followed Moses. They would follow Jesus on a journey when he came down off of this mountain. Simon and the 11 followed Jesus for quite a time, and through many a storm. And you know what storms do? Storms, they like wash away the sand, and they reveal the rock. They followed Jesus to the gates of hell. And by that, I literally mean the gates of hell. This is a picture of the gates of Hades in Caesarea Philippi, or as it's translated in English, the gates of hell. The Romans and the Greeks, um, in fact, Jolene went with me there to the gates of hell, but the Romans and the Greeks believed that um, these pagan deities would come back and forth in winter and spring through the gates of, gates of Hades there in Caesarea Philippi. This is Alison Bristow saying, what the hell, and Sharon Hirsch running from the, the gates of hell. Well, it was here in Matthew 16 that Jesus asked this question of his disciples. He said, guys, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Remember that the disciples, they cited a variety of theories that were going around in that day, that possibly he was the reincarnated John the Baptist, or one of the ancient prophets, and Jesus interrupts and he says, but, but who do you say that I am? And Simon says, you're the Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is uh, the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one. He just blurted out, Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And, and Simon must have thought to himself, well, that's really weird because I thought that was my idea. And Jesus says, no, that was my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, my house. I will build. So who is the wise man that builds the house. Well, well, Jesus is wisdom. We know that. He's wisdom, and he builds the house that is his church, that is the temple built on the foundation stone, the rock. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the workmen labor in vain. 
And who does these words of Jesus? Who is perfect as the Father is perfect? Who loves his enemies and prays for his persecutors? Who's entirely forgiving, entirely honest, cuts away the sinful flesh, and is reconciled to all creation? Well, that's Jesus the rock. Jesus, who just named Simon the rock. That is Peter. Literally translated, Jesus, he says this, I tell you, you are Petros, literally, you are rock, and on this rock, this Petra, I will build my church, my house. Now, Roman Catholics, they say that the rock refers to the, the Pope, Peter the Pope, and all the subsequent popes, and Protestants say, well, not so fast there. We think that the rock refers to Peter's confession and not Peter, but Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this Peter, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this Peter, this Peter, as if there were another Peter. And it turns out that there is another Peter, or at least a false Peter, the imposter. Matthew then writes, from that moment, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and rebuked him, saying, Lord, this will never be. I'm the Pope now. Don't you remember that? I'm the Pope now, and I think this is a bad plan. And Jesus turned, and now I quote, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I imagine Peter thought to himself, hey, Jesus, I thought that that was me talking. Did you just call me Satan? And that is a little bit freaky, isn't it? I mean, we each think that we're so in control. We think we decide what we say. We think that we decide what we do and who we will become. But Jesus can look right through all of our illusions and say, well, actually, that was God. That was Satan. In other words, he knows who you are. And he knows who you are not. He's the judgment. He's the word and the will of our Father in heaven. So anyway, what was the difference then? What was the difference between the Peter that was actually the spawn of Satan, the false Peter, and the Peter that actually did the word of the Father as if he were the word of his Father incarnate, the true Peter, the rock? What was the difference? Where was Peter and what was he thinking and feeling when Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter blurted out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, the, the son of man and the, the son of man and the son of God. You are who it is that we are all destined to become. Where was that Peter? And, and where was Peter, and what was Peter thinking and feeling when he took Jesus aside and said, that cannot be, may it never be, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Where was Peter uh, that second time? Well, I think in that instance, where Peter was is very familiar to me. He was standing on sand and feeling responsible for building the house. Jesus had just said, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But Peter heard, you should be rock. Peter, you got to get busy and build my church. And what did Peter need to build his church? Well, he definitely needed Jesus, right? 
So Jesus getting himself crucified didn't seem to be a very good plan, a very good way to build a church. A better way to build a church would be to like draw a crowd, bring, you know, bring out the vote, raise some money, start a building campaign or maybe a war. So Peter took knowledge of the good and then told the good what was good and the good said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it gets downright funny in the next chapter. Jesus takes Peter up a mountain where he starts glowing, remember, and chatting with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, and Peter just freaks out. He doesn't know what to do, and he offers to build a tabernacle, which is a temple, uh, built a house uh, for the Lord, built on the rock, and a voice (laughs) booms down from heaven saying, shut up, Peter. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. When that Peter that felt responsible for the house looked at the tree in the middle of his garden, what do you think he saw? I think he saw the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, he saw ethics. He saw rules and principles and formulas and theologies and sociologies and psychologies and values, uh, laws that he could use, uh, he could take and, and he could use in order to become the rock that he thought he was supposed to be and to build the house that he thought he was supposed to be. He thought it was responsible. And yet in reality, it rendered him unable to respond to the living God, for he had just crucified the will of God in the garden of his own heart. But what did the true Peter in that first instance, what did the true Peter see when he looked to the tree in the middle of the garden in his heart? Well, I think he saw Jesus. I think he saw Jesus. He, he knew the man that knew him, not a dead law, but a, but a living savior. The responsible Peter, you see, thought that he had to save Jesus. Which makes it pretty hard to trust Jesus, the Savior. Do you ever feel like you have to save Jesus? I do. Try this job. I do. I think the church in America does. If we think that we have to save Jesus, how could we ever trust Jesus for salvation? But now, where was this true Peter, thinking about this true Peter? Where was that true Peter standing? What was he thinking and feeling when at the gates of hell he just put it out? You're the Christ! You're the Son of the living God! What was he thinking? I'm not sure he was thinking. I think a better way to describe it was that he was being thought. He wasn't figuring out a math problem. He was beginning to dance. He was speaking faith in hope while lost in love, he was speaking from the depths of his being, what Paul calls the innermost self, from behind the curtain and and on the throne in the sanctuary of his soul. He was speaking like a little child on his father's lap. And Jesus turned and said, you're Peter. Oh, and on this Peter, I'm gonna build my house. This Peter. Not the false Peter. And who created this Peter upon whom God would build his house? Where did that love, that hope, and that faith come from? Well, not Peter, but the one that Peter loved. The one that Peter hoped in. 
the one that he had come to trust. It came from here, him, and, and it was granted to Peter on the journey over and over and over again in the midst of storms. <laughs> it was a short time before this that the disciples were caught, you remember, on the sea in the midst of a storm. <laughs> It's such a great story, and Jesus just comes walking by them on, on the water, on the sea, which for the Jew was like walking on hell. The disciples are utterly terrified because they think it's, it's a ghost, but Peter hopes, and, and the Lord calls to Peter and says, come to me on the water, and Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on the waves in the storm toward Jesus. He walks by faith until he takes his eyes off the Lord and puts his eyes on the wind and the waves and starts to think, and it was then that he started to sink, but he called to the Lord, help me, save me. And the foundation stone moved, came and got him. In fact, there was already a piece of it in him. In Peter, it was the love that made him get out of the boat. It was the hope that made him walk on top of hell, and it was the faith that cried, save me. And, and that's how faith, hope, and love grow into a house, and that's not unreasonable. It's actually the manifestation of reason, the logos, by whom all things are created. And I hope you understand that faith, that God is salvation, doesn't mean that you don't try. It's actually faith that you yourself are salvation that will keep you in the boat and trapped by hell. Faith that God is salvation means that you'll try, but your right hand won't know what your left hand is doing because you will be dancing. Faith, faith in God is salvation is faith in Jesus and Jesus in you, and that's how Jesus builds his house, the house that you are. First Peter 2, 4, Peter writes, like living stones, be yourselves be built into a spiritual house. From faith to faith, in the midst of storms, at the gates of hell. You are Peter, says Jesus, and on this Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And hell for me is no longer a hypothetical proposition because <laughs> I think I've been there, or at least to the gates. And I don't mean the cave in Caesarea Philippi. Over the years, I've prayed with some friends who I think were in hell. One of, one of the first was a friend who suffered abuse more horrifying than anything that I can talk about in a setting like this. And I would think it wasn't real, except for that I've experienced things that I cannot deny, like being choked in the middle of the night and things showing up in people and that I cannot explain any, any other way. And I've also witnessed a power greater and more beautiful than anything I had ever imagined. Well, one night, that must have been something like 20 years ago or so now, at about two in the morning, Aram Heratuni and my associate and I were at her house praying for her, and, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget this night. I mean, we were experiencing one hell of a storm. It was a demonic spirit that took the name of control and would give our friend the ability to hide her heart and put on a religious act. Can, can you imagine that? But now there was no act. 
It had seized control of, of her body. If you've never witnessed such a thing, I know that it's incredibly hard to believe. But according to Scripture, we all wrestle against principalities and powers and the world rulers of this present darkness. We all wrestle. And whether you see something like this or, or you never do, trust me, I think for all of us, the battle is the same. At one, at one point, I remember this entity, whatever, it, it began to choke her. And we couldn't get it to stop. I tried everything I knew things I had learned from Andrew, things I had learned in books that I had read, things I had learned on the mission field. I commanded in Jesus' name. I took authority in Jesus' name. And Aram, Aram, I think he quoted just about every Bible verse that, that he knew, verse after verse after verse. We were just fighting, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> she stopped breathing. And she fell over lifeless on the floor. I remember I, I bent down and I put my face right next to hers, and nothing. I tried reciting every formula that I could think of. I tried praying in tongues. I think Aram recited half the Bible verses in the New Testament, and I bent down, and she still wasn't breathing. I mean, it had been quite a while, and all at once it hit me. I looked at Aram, he looked at me, and I thought, we're going to prison. We're going to prison because I don't think that the police are going to believe that these two grown men sitting in this woman's house at two in the morning did not do this, but the devil did this. I mean, this is, this is, this is the end. My house will fall. My church will fall. My kids will not have a father. And how will I not believe that the devil wins? And then, without thinking as if from someplace deep, deep down in the sanctuary of my soul, I just, I remember I just muttered, Jesus, help us. Like that, all of a sudden she took this huge breath. <gasps> she was back and the fight was back on. Jesus revealed more of his glory and the gates of hell did not prevail against us, and I think it was then that Jesus whispered into my heart, on this Peter, on this Peter, I will build my house. Not the Peter with the impressive resume, the seminary degree, six million dollar facility and book contracts. <laughs> I actually don't even know that Peter. Who is that Peter? But on this Peter, poor in spirit, meek, Morning, hungry and thirsty for me on this Peter, the one that the one that liked me on the flannel graph in the Sunday school, the one that sits on his father's lap and he believes the love of our father, believes the love in his eyes, the, the beloved one in whom our father is well pleased. This Peter, the fruit from the tree that is me. Peter, we will build our house on this Peter the rock. Jesus doesn't know the man or the woman that you're trying to be. Jesus knows and loves the man or woman that you are right now. In fact, on this rock, 
the foundation stone. He will build his house, which is you and me and all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, all who died in Adam. So be grateful for the storms. They reveal the rock. It's not Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Dr. Fauci in the fire department, the Constitution or some church program or any type of knowledge that you could apply to yourself. It's, it's not an army, a gun, or a three-quarter ton Chevy truck. It's more like a feeling, an idea, or a thought, a decision that did not come from you. It's Christ in you, the rock in you, the foundation stone. I mean, it's really shocking. But if you were asked, John the disciple, who are you? John, who are you? I, I think he'd, and I can point you to the verses, I think he'd say, well, God, funny thing, I, I'm not really sure. But I'm the beloved. I'm a child of God. And if you were to ask St. Paul, if you were to say, Paul the apostle, Paul, Paul, tell me, who are you? He'd say, well, funny thing, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And if you were to ask Peter, Peter, who are you? He'd say, well, Jesus said, I'm the rock. And if you said, okay, well then who is Jesus? He'd say, well, actually, Jesus is the rock. And if you said, well, gee, Peter, are you proud? He'd look at you as if you were insane and he'd say, no, I am forever grateful. And I think Jesus would say that's because he now knows he's the fruit from the tree that is me. And so he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he said, this is the covenant in my blood. The life is in the blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of sins. This is the fruit from the tree that is me. One day a storm will come, and the man that Jesus does not know will be entirely swept away, but faith, hope, and love will remain, and they'll whisper, Jesus, help me, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you, and you will know as you are known the image and likeness of God. Amen. So God, we just thank you. I thank you that with every breath, my soul will rest in you. And that soul, that me, is the true me. Thank you for exposing the fake me, because I'm sick of him, and he wears me out. <laughs> and I thank you that you will do it, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Father, it's tempting now to tell people what to do. 
But Jesus, we're trying to trust that it's your word that will do it. So do it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you go, I just wanted you to read this really cool verse. Okay, you can stay standing. This won't be long. But this is... Um, this was written by Solomon, you know, who's the son of David who built the temple, who built the house on the foundation stone in the book of Proverbs written like, like what was that, like a thousand years before Jesus? or No, 700 years before, what was it, Andrew? 800 years, something like that? You know stuff. Anyway, he says this, uh, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. You just came to that table. Jesus is wisdom. That's what we learn. And it's kind of weird because that's a female pronoun, right? But Jesus is wisdom. And wisdom in you is his house. His bride. Who bears his fruit. So believe the word. And you will do the word. And you will build the house. Amen. If you'd like prayer, Ted's down here. He'd love to pray with you, but have a wonderful week. Mm -hmm.